welcome back to the Pothole Pastors Podcast. I'm Joey. And I'm Adam. And today we are joined with a special guest from Springfield, Missouri, Alex Rodriguez. Hey, it's good to be with you guys today. And Alex, you are not the Major League Baseball player, correct? <laughs> as far as I know, that that's correct. <laughs> hey, Alex is our training director for National Chi Alpha. And Alex, what kind of is your main role there? Obviously, you do training, but kind of can you unpack a little bit of what that looks like for you? Yeah, my mission is to cultivate a common culture across uncommon campuses, uh, which is easier said than done. Uh, but I really, really love my job. I get, I get to help Chi Alpha develop disciple-making groups, healthy leaders, spiritual empowerment, uh, cross-cultural missions, just trying to focus on our four priorities of healthy Chi Alpha uh, by developing our interns, our lead directors, our all kinds of Chi Alpha staff, and also trying to help develop our Chi Alpha students. And that's what I get to do on a daily, weekly basis. I personally think I have the best job in Alpha. Uh, I suppose I'm biased, but it, it's been a lot of fun um, getting to work with these guys. Awesome. Cool. And Alex, you're, you're still pretty new to the role, right? Only been there for a few years now? Yeah, I've only been here for 11 months now, actually. Oh, wow. We're, we're oh, coming wow. up on a year next October 14th. That's 12 months for us. Okay, wow. wow. Well, I know that I can speak from a Chi Alpha standpoint that Chi Alpha is better with you at the helm there. So we appreciate everything that you've well, done for Chi Alpha. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's very kind of you guys. Well, hey, Adam, what'd you do recently to, bef- I don't know, <laughs> between, <laughs> before this podcast? Yeah, before the podcast, yeah. <laughs> um, man, I got to think. So I think last time I mentioned our church is doing a 5K fundraiser. Mm-hmm. for our church sign is falling apart, which today I actually had to up or update the church sign and it's like rusting out and the screws don't even work anymore. So you have to get pliers to like unscrew it and change the sign and it's really bad. But um, but no, I went to a bunch of different churches in Muncie to give flyers to kind of help spread the word. And that was kind of fun. Get to meet different people and stuff like that. So just trying to get the word out and hopefully get people to actually sign up for the race so we can get some donations and stuff. So that's been fun, but it's been taking up most of my time. Yeah. I was just trying to think what I could even update people for. <laughs> and I don't think I've done much of it. I mean, I'm back on campus. That's a big, that's good. Yeah, I that's guess that's good. a big deal. So yeah. I'm done um, support raising at least I think, you know, I think everything's <laughs> pledged that everything's coming in. It, it seems good. So um, that's been nice to be back on campus, not to be, um, you know, kind of what, what's even worse is I live so close to campus. That's right. So it was yeah. like I'd be working from home, you know, making phone calls, doing travel, doing meetings and stuff. But it's like I'm right next to the campus. So that was incredibly hard. So that's that, I guess that's a big deal. I guess that's not something just to <laughs> shrug oh, off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, Alex, what has your week been like? Uh, what has our week been like? Uh, today's Wednesday. So all my meetings I try to have on Wednesday. That means I've had three today. Um, I think the the only time I had when I wasn't in the meeting was at lunch, but sometimes that's just how things go, uh, which is fine. We did some pre-production for our, uh, our own Chi Alpha small group leader podcast. It's actually in pre-development right now. Um, looked at some post-production for some Chi Alpha training videos, uh, called Axiom and tried to mine some more data from our Chi Alpha census to determine how well Chi Alpha is doing, uh, believing that you always get what you measure. So that's what my day and my week has looked like so far. Awesome. Nice. Cool. If you could, um, well, never mind. That's not even a good question. We're going to move on. <laughs> so we're going to move okay. into our, uh, I don't even no know worries. what I, I don't even know what I was going to ask. It was just like, I was just trying to keep conversation going. We're going to move into yeah, our Midwest yeah. moment. Oh, Alex, we didn't show you our OPE trigger. Oh. So that's our OPE trigger because that is the... We're What's that? So that's my, that's who it is, is my wife. And the OPE trigger Ah. is, so whenever, you know, the most, the most Midwest thing you can say is OPE. You know, like whenever you almost run into somebody, they say OPE, you know, you forgot something, you say OPE. So we um, have an OPE trigger so that anytime that we say something or talk about something Midwest, we hit the OPE trigger. And so we always hit the OPE trigger right before we go into our Midwest moments. So that's our, that's our OPE trigger. (laughs) Oh man. So I have a story this week. Um, and story is amazing. It is. In fact, it just happened. Well, okay. I shouldn't say it happened, but the story was published like 
45 minutes ago. So this is like hot off the press, literally hot. And you'll understand what I mean. So the title is Nebraska woman burning love letters sparks apartment fire. And the article is this 19 year old Nebraska woman started a fire in her apartment while burning love letters from her ex. The police said that the woman was using a butane torch to burn the letters and accidentally left them on the bedroom floor. She then went to go take a nap in the next room and woke up to find out that her carpet was on fire. They they put it out wow. pretty quickly, but she got charged four thousand. Well, no, it did four thousand dollars in damage to the building, but she got charged for negligent burning. So she must have really not have liked her ex. <laughs> so I thought, goodness. <laughs> I, I'm just wondering, like, does she have roommates? I didn't think about that. You know, yeah. it's like, did she have roommates and, like, were they home and did they see her with a butane <laughs> torch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and even, like, why a butane torch? Why not, like, I don't know, a match or, like, take it outside, you know, like, just leave it on the carpet? Where, where was this at? It was in Nebraska. Yeah. Huh. Nebraska. It doesn't say where, it just says Nebraska. But yeah, 19 years old, 19 years old. So, wow. <laughs> so my Midwest moment is not quite, I think yours is better this week, but this is, it's pretty funny still. Um, this is right here in Indiana. So way to be, way to go Hoosiers. <laughs> Naked man carrying beer hides from police in an Indiana cornfield. And here we go. It's so ironic that we talk about beer so often so on much, this podcast. So much. And neither of us drink. We, in fact, cannot drink. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so funny that beer comes off. At, but it's the Midwest. Like, that's, that's that is true. Like yes. a staple. Midwest, in the Midwest. Like beer. A naked man disappeared into a Northwest Indiana cornfield with police in hot pursuit Wednesday. And this is about a week or so old. The Lake County Sheriff's Department said the man was spotted around 630 and was wearing only a hat carrying a beer as he ran down State Road 55. Wow. After, <laughs> after five officers responded to the road and fa- responded to the road and found the man, he ran across a highway and into a cornfield. Police called firefighters because apparently when someone runs into a cornfield you get the fire team for uh, they called the firefighters for help. Searching for the man, but they're unable to locate him, even after utilizing a drone to look from above. So this was like serious. Clearly, there was nothing else going on because... What a camouflage naked man right there. (laughs) (laughs) And they, I mean, they got the fire department. They got a drone searching. And this guy evaded the police. There clearly must have not had a lot going on. Where was this in Indiana? Um, Hebron. Oh, so it's the northwest side. You're getting up closer to like, um, oh, you know, like Chicago land oh, area. Gotcha. Get, getting oh, up, up closer there. to the, like that side of oh. Indiana. But I wonder what concerned him more: the police clothing him or taking away his beer. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, it's. I just with so many of these stories that we have, Alex, you'll have to go back and listen to a couple of our episodes because you won't believe some of these stories that we find. (laughs) And it's, I'm just like, there's so many questions that rise into my mind (laughs) when I read these that we could make an entire podcast only reading these news articles, (laughs) you know? And You should. That'd be a fun episode. (laughs) That is true. We could have an extended Midwest moment, you know, entire episode. That'd be pretty fun. (laughs) There's plenty of info and material for it (laughs) yeah especially if you just google midwest news there are entire sections of of mainline news teams with just midwest news and they're just article after article it's gold so if you ever need midwest news you need northwest news they've they've got it it's it's all there (laughs) awesome well hey alex we wanted to uh, mo- well, yeah, sorry. Thanks. Oh. We always we have to end it. That's the end of uh, Midwest moments. We wanted to talk to you particularly. There's a number of things that we'd love to talk to you about. And perhaps I know that you're coming to Muncie later next semester. Maybe we could actually get you an, an in-studio guest at that time. Sure. But And we could maybe have a rapid fire kind of uh, episode. Let's do it. Sounds we, good. But we wanted to specifically talk about um, devotion life. Because mm-hmm. I know that as a Chi Alpha, um, 
that's kind of one of our pillars. You know, like a lot of a lot of campuses will say real devotion. And we wanted to talk about that because I think devotion isn't just something that Chi Alpha people or college students or young people need to have. Devotion life is something that is vital to every Christian. And so we thought it'd be really great to be able to um, just kind of pick your brain a little bit, talk about devotion, and um, just kind of see what comes out of that. I think you would do a really good job uh, talking about that. Let's do it. Well, Alex, um, so why don't you tell us like what we mean when we say real devotion as far as like in a Chi Alpha sense? Um, you know, I, I assume we're not trying to be um, facetious and say we, we know the real way to have devotion, you know, but um, you know, what, can you unpack a little bit? What do we mean when we say um, everyone needs a real devotion life? Right. I, I think the, the word real, uh, at least in the context of real devotion, real community, real responsibility was inspired by two different things. Uh, one, you have that parable of the wheat and the tares, where Jesus basically says that these tares, they grow up, they look like wheat, they smell like wheat, but when they're fully grown, you realize this wasn't what you wanted at all. Um, so it's possible that, that we do live in this world of true versus false, of something that looks right, sounds right, but is just a little bit off. Um, and that has then been a teaching of uh, the great Charles Finney, true or false, conversion, true or false salvation, true or false repentance. Uh, and that's why we've, we've termed these phrases, real devotion, real community, real responsibility, because it's very possible that a lot of us uh, in Christendom, you know, we can say, you know, Matthew chapter seven, we can say, Lord, Lord, which is theologically accurate and correct. You know, we can say uh, of the numerous things that we've done, um, drove out demons, performed many miracles, all of which could be considered ministry. Um, and the Lord could still, still, uh, still tell us, turn away from me, I never knew you. Uh, so there is such a thing as having real and false devotion, and that's basically where the term originated from. Um, if we were to even go a little bit step further and apply it today, uh, I think this term is crucial for today. We're living in a culture in 2019 that beloves, that believes love is a feeling. Um, if I don't feel like doing something, it's either legalistic or fake for me to try to do it anyway, kind of thing. Uh, and we've definitely met a lot of students along the way that just believe they don't feel like being with Jesus and they're not going to be with Jesus because to be with him, or you don't feel like being with him would be legalistic. That's really bad thinking. Um, this narrative fails to appreciate the reality that love is more of a force than a feeling. Um, case in point, I'm, I'm happily married. I love my wife, but I do not always want to wash the dishes. I never feel like mowing the lawn. I never feel like buying something for her instead of me. You know, maybe that makes me a horrible husband. Maybe that makes me human, you know, prone to look out for myself as opposed to others. Uh, either way, I'm, I'm saying I'm not prone or feeling like saying sorry during the first fight and so on and so forth. But if, if any relationship is going to make it, me with her or me with God, it has to be driven by force to do the right thing even when I don't feel like it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, basically, real devotion means I'm not going to wait until I feel like being with Jesus to be with Jesus. I'm going to have this self-initiative to read my Bible beyond a sermon slide. I'm going to have a self-initiative to pray outside of a prayer meeting, even when it's just me and God. I'm going to have the self-initiative to worship without a worship band. And it's been extravagant time with Jesus, especially when I do not feel like it, which if we're honest with you know each other, that's probably the vast majority of the time, you know? Uh, for simplicity's sake, real devotion means we're going to be with Jesus on purpose instead of finding time to be with Him on accident. Mm, yeah. And Alex, what would you say to someone who says, like, why do I need to have, you know, this extravagant time with Jesus? Like, wouldn't just a five-minute conversation with Jesus in the morning and maybe, like, reading the verse of the day be devotion enough? That's fair. Uh, I'll give you two two reasons, I suppose. The, the first takes place in the book of Isaiah, where you get to see the prophet before the audience of heaven. He hears the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, as one of my old campus pastors, Eli Stewart, used to say, if you could pick three words to describe God, what would you use? Good, loving, merciful, powerful, omniscient, you know, whatever it might be. These angels choose out of the in infinitude of vocabulary to say that he's holy, holy, holy. 
you know, and, and that leads the prophet to basically Hebrew culture. If you repeat something more than once, it's meant to say that this person is the epitome of something. He is the epitome of holiness, this holy God. And here I am standing before him. And in that revelation, Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm an unclean man with unclean lips living among an unclean people. And my eyes have just seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then you hear the Holy Trinity basically saying, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And the most interesting part to me of this verse is Isaiah volunteers, send me, I'll go. So revelation of the holiness of God led to repentance of the unholiness of himself, which then led to responsibility for his fellow man who is in the same state of himself. I, I think those three R's um, are, are connected. The, the revelation leading to repentance, leading to responsibility. And uh, if there's ever a gap of not having responsibility, if there's ever a gap of not having repentance, it's probably because there's a lack of having revelation of the holiness of God, which always shows us the unholiness of ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of like, mm-hmm. it's kind of why we're exactly why Winky Prattney says the Lord will first tell you his name. And then when you understand his name, he'll tell you your name. Mm-hmm. First, you have to understand his nature. And in light of that, we truly see what nature we really have. Um, that's one thing that moves me as to why we need to spend more than five minutes a day with Jesus. If we're only spending five minutes a day with Jesus, I I don't know if we're having those holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty experiences. I don't know if we're saying, woe is me experiences. And I don't know if we're saying, send me, I'll go kind of experiences. And that's with Isaiah not even getting an assignment. You you, you think about that text. It's God could have sent him to the desert. God could have sent him to the Midwest. He doesn't know if he's going to New York or Hawaii, you know, he could go anywhere. And yet he says, send me, I'll go. Um, That's the kind of attitude the Lord needs from us, his soldiers. But we're not going to develop that kind of attitude with five minutes a day with Jesus. You know, Mm -hmm. the the other aspect of it, I think, is John 15, when Jesus says, if you abide in me, spend extravagant time with me, make your home with me, dwell with me, then I will make my home with you and you will bear much fruit. That word fruit in the synoptic gospels always refers to disciples who make disciples who make disciples, which is why Dick Brogdon wrote in his thesis on abiding that the greatest methodology for small group discipleship is not solo leading or co-leading or tri-leading. It's not a leadership training class in the fall or the spring or anything like that. The greatest methodology for making disciples is to spend extravagant time with Jesus. That's not to say strategy is neglected. It's not to say systems of solo leading and co-leading are irrelevant, but they're definitely not supposed to be preeminent. They're not supposed to come first. I think extravagant time with Jesus is the non-negotiable, the foundation to build on when it comes to making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, which is the command to all Christians. Uh, Jesus' final words in Matthew 28 or Acts 1. And that's why we need to spend more than five minutes a day with Jesus. Yeah, Mm, yeah, that's good. Alex, I'm curious. I know a lot of people, whether it's a college setting or just people in general, you know, they see those people that are on fire for God, living it with devotion with God on a day-to-day basis. And some people say, yes, I want that. But they see it and they don't like they don't exactly like know how to obtain that, I guess, in a sense, or they don't fully understand how to get there. And I think sometimes they don't truly understand like who Jesus is, and therefore they don't truly understand like why people act the way that they do. I guess that makes sense. Um, so how do you get people to understand like what daily devotional life is? Because I think some people think like, oh, it's going to church, it's doing all the basic stuff, but really it's like when you're walking, it's like praying continuously in your mind and just how you treat other people and things like that. Um, yeah, I guess kind of touch base on what does a real devotional life look like for people who are just kind of lost? Like, I don't really know exactly how it is. Sure. That's a good question. I, I think one thing that we need to begin to do is evaluate our heavenly relationship, us with God, by comparing it to our earthly relationships, us with each other. Um, Our tendency is to believe, like you said, because I go to church on a Sunday for two hours a day, me and God are good. We're close. We're best friends. But I would never say that about any other relationship where I see someone for two hours once a week, you know. If you evaluated your relationship with your wife and you only saw your wife, your husband, your spouse, uh, Sunday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. once a week, and that's it, that 
marriage would not be a very good marriage, you know. Um, if, if it was purely by choice that, that we spent that little time together, we're probably not going to know each other very well. We're certainly not going to be learning each other very well. And if, if that's true of marriage and if that's true of friends and business and colleagues, uh, that's definitely true of our relationship with God. Two hours a day with the King, excuse me, two hours a week with the King is just not extravagant. It's not sufficient for me to speak to God and equally important God to speak to me. Um, so I, I think that's one way to, to jumpstart the understanding of why we need to spend some extravagant time with Jesus uh, in any relationship. If, if I am choosing to have two hours a week with you, not circumstantially, but choosing to have two hours a week with you, it's just not going to be a relationship. It's going to be more of an acquaintance. And I, I think when the Lord calls us friend, when he calls us bridegroom, when he calls us son and daughter, these are very non-acquaintance types of relationships that he's referencing. Mm-hmm. And the only way for us to have that is if we spend extravagant time with him. Um, I, I think the second part to answer that question, uh, something that has helped us, because now you know what to do, but you don't necessarily know how to do it. You know, I know that I'm supposed to spend extravagant time with him, but what on earth does that look like? I think I also, we borrow a lot of the methodology of, of lived it. Our lectionary friends over there, they um, believe that if we tithe our money to God, it would be wise and fair to tithe our time to God. So they spend 10% of their day giving the best aspects of their day to Jesus. So about two hours and 25 minutes a day is their goal every single day to be with the Lord. Um, that sounds like a lot of time at first. I know uh, they count individual time and they count collective time. So if you're praying alone, or if you're praying together, both of that would count as your extravagant time with Jesus. If that makes sense. Um, and it, it can vary, you know, from reading the Bible to reading books to praying alone to praying together. Uh, but they, they measure that. And, and I think this is true of building any kind of culture, uh, whether it be personally or collectively is we're always going to get what we measure. And the more I started to actually calculate my time with Jesus, the more I would find time with Jesus. I don't believe that's legalistic. I, I think that's love. You know, if, if I love my wife, I'm going to pencil in a date night. I'm going to not be at my phone when I go home. I'm going to have time just to be with her. Um, same is true of family. Same is true as friends. And I don't think any of us would call it legalistic. I think we would call it love to make extravagant time for the people we want to be with. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I think something that, I always struggled with when I was younger, and even to this day, um, especially those of us who maybe find themselves in ministry, oftentimes we feel like, man, we're meeting all the time with students, or we're meeting with people in our congregations where, um, you know, we're we're kind of putting out fires all the time. You know, we we have all these tasks we have to accomplish, um, but it's really easy to just fill our our day with busyness, and oftentimes it's like, man, I haven't spent hardly any time with the Lord. And I know that's one reason why our staff team here, not because we're amazing, I just think we've done this because we've noticed that it's hard to do um, if we don't start the day off. Every day that we're on campus, we start out with an hour of prayer together. You know, and sometimes it's not like an exact hour. We, we meet at nine and we're done by 9.45, 9.50-ish. Um, sometimes, you know, if, if, if we don't have 45 minutes worth of prayer time, you know, we'll cut it at 9.30, 9.25, 9.35. But um, I think like what you were saying, having something built into the day that we at least, yes. we know that we have some kind of devotion time together, even as a staff team penciled in. And then I, I know for me, what was really revolutionary and maybe, and maybe you could speak to this a little bit too, was going, and this almost sounds heretical, but going beyond just reading the Bible you know, as something yes. to, to help devotion life, because I think, you know, as, as amazing and inspired and powerful scripture is, sometimes we need a, another voice, you know, speaking to us. And maybe can you speak to that yes. a little bit of how you've been able to go beyond just the traditional, you know, 
Bible study or Bible reading plan or, you know, or the, uh, what is it? The acrostic prayer patterns like acts or, you know, whatever else, um, sure. maybe some things that have helped you cultivate a devotion life that can, that can sustain a couple hours worth of, of time. Yeah. And I, I know that thought that you're talking about the, the belief that thinks, um, for me to read anything other than the Bible would be an invalid devotional life. I, I think that thought is invalid because what the irony of that statement is, is it's usually from people who read the Bible and they believe God is teaching them something and he does teach them something from the Bible. But then they think that they can't read a Christian book because it's not the Bible and therefore someone else can't share them truth. And then they have a small group that same night where they read from the Bible and they share truth with the people they're trying to disciple. The, the irony of that is just not missed on me, that it's, it's possible for me to read the Bible and teach others what the, the Bible is saying, but it's not possible for me to read a book which is someone else teaching me what the Bible is saying. Um, that's just kind of ridiculous to me, uh, that, that, lack of us to, that lack of connection that we seem to make. Um, that's one thing that I do love Christian books for is, uh, I don't think I, I have the greatest theology in the world. I don't think it's perfect is what I mean. I'm not saying I'm a heretic or anything like that. Uh, but w- what I'm trying to say is the, the Bible is just filled with mystery. Its author is infinite. And there are some authors out there that have had, uh, sure, some better education than perhaps you or I, but they've also had these legitimate experiences with God, you know, and they, they've wrote about it. They've, they've, when I read a Christian book, whether it's a teaching book or not, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in this podcast, you know, and C.S. Lewis is on the other end, or Andrew Murray is on the other end, or G. Campbell Morgan is on the other end, and we're just chatting over a cup of coffee, and they're telling me how they built their own devotional life, or what they think this parable of Jesus means, or why this kingdom principle is a kingdom principle, and so on and so forth. And it's so beneficial. It's almost like you're being discipled by some of these old dead guys and old dead gals uh, and new living guys as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, but that's what I really do love about reading books beyond the Bible. But this is where we got to be careful. It's possible for a lot of Christians to exclusively read these Christian books to neglect of the Bible, which I think would be a, a extreme, you know, too far of a course correction to go from reading the Bible only to reading Christian books only, both of those would, would not, I, I think, be beneficial in the long run. I think it's good for us to, to read both and get a healthy amount of both. Um, when you read the Bible, it has a way of reading you back, and that's some of the most convicting moments I've ever had in my life, you know? And when I read Christian books, I get an education and an insight and a foresight uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise. Some of these authors understand Greek like I don't. They understand Hebrew like I don't. They understand cultural context like I don't. And they, with the Bible being so, with its author being infinite, it's very possible that two different people can fish in the same ocean and come away with different fish, you know? And and that's what I love about the Bible is one author says one thing on Luke 15, another says another thing on Luke 15, I read it myself and I get something else on Luke 15 and I need all of it because it's all true. Mm. One thing, Alex, when I was in Chi Alpha that Chi Alpha really taught me well in my devotional life was listening in prayer time of just being quiet and listening, which was hard for me. And I think it's hard for a lot of people, especially in today's culture, because we our minds are so rapidly thinking about things that we're going through. But I remember there was a quote, I think it was Mother Teresa. She was asked when she was interviewed saying like, in your prayer time, like, what do you do? And she's like, well, I just listen. And like, well, when you hear from like, what does God say to you? And he's like, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And I think it was really interesting because it was like a lifestyle that she had with God. But I'm curious, like how important is just taking time to not say anything and just listen to God like on a daily basis? I think it's pretty crucial. I um, was reading in Ecclesiastes recently, which just mentioned how this is me paraphrasing, but God is really big and really glorious (laughs) and really holy. 
So when you're before him, let your words be few. And that is always a healthy reminder. I, I think one thing that I'm guilty of is prayer can become a monologue and it's really meant to be a dialogue. You see that all over the Bible, not just people speaking with Jesus, but Jesus speaking with people. Um, we need to remember our smallness. And, and I, I think the only way for us to remember our smallness is to go up to this big God and just be quiet before him. And that has a way of uh, sobering us up really quick. So I think that's great advice. Yeah, I, I think something that I, I really benefited from was, you know, of course I was reading um, the Bible all summer as I was itinerating and traveling, but um, it wasn't as much time that I would like to be able to, you know, it's hard to fill up those like, you know, two, you know, hours a day with Jesus when I was in the car. But something that I found incredibly life-giving, which is part of the inspiration that we started this podcast for, was I began to listen to Christian podcasts and started listening to people talk about the Bible and sermons. And, and I just, man, I, I just felt like such life this summer where it, it wasn't my traditional, you know, where I was like sitting down for a solid hour reading scripture and maybe a Christian book alongside of it and pondering, thinking. But it was something that I was almost shocked that, <laughs> you know, I was almost shocked that like podcast helped my devotional life and then, I, then the more I thought about it, I, I remember Romans where it talks about faith comes by hearing. And so it, the more I thought about that, I was like, well, it's really not all that surprising that, you know, that I actually did grow and was challenged and um, learned things this summer just simply by people talking about God. And, and so I think that's something else is um, for me, I've, I've noticed that keeping my devotional life fresh is not trying to do necessarily the same exact thing every day. Like there is something to be said about rhythm and, and um, having some kind of similarity so that, you know, you're familiar with something. But um, some days, you know, like I don't read another book and I do just read scripture, you know, and then I, I as a, as a good rule, I always read some kind of scripture, you know, in the day I never go without scripture, but, you know, depending, depending on the day, um, it just kind of depends on, on what that's going, how the day's going. And, um, sometimes I read a couple chapters. Sometimes I read one verse and I just, it stops me dead in my tracks. And I'm like, I need to, sure. <laughs> I just need to think about that. But Alex, maybe for the people out there that are just saying like, man, two hours a day with Jesus sounds awesome, but I definitely, I'm not there yet. You know, what would you recommend as people are trying to get started, you know, trying to cultivate a longer devotional life? Because someone who's maybe only spending five or 10 minutes a day probably is going to feel like they're just being tortured if they're trying to just go straight into two hours solid. Um, what would be some suggestions that you have to help like gear up into that kind of devotional life? Man, that's a good question. And I, I think you're, you're on to something. You, you're, you're definitely right about it. Sometimes you read a verse and you just stay there. You can't get it off your mind. You journal and 10 pages later an hour has gone by, you know, uh, and sometimes simply the Bible, and that's awesome. And sometimes you read a Bible, and sometimes you read a book. I, I don't think there is, uh, I, I don't have the audacity to say that there's a correct formula of percentage of book, percentage of Bible, percentage of prayer, percentage of worship. I think, um, at the end of the day, the goal is to get to God, you know, um, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're not reading the Bible so that we can sound intellectual in a conversation. Uh, we're not praying out loud in a prayer meeting to be heard by men. Um, we're, we're trying to have this devotional life to get with God. So that's the bottom line, you know. Uh, as far as jump-starting that devotional life and looking at two hours and saying, man, that might be great, but how on earth do we get there? Um, I, I think it's, uh, what am I trying to say? It's kind of like building a muscle, you know, mm. when you go into the gym for the first time and I apologize for all the listeners who might not be gym goers, or whatever it might be, or kinesiology majors like that. But when you go to the gym for the first time, you're not immediately trying to bench 300 pounds, you know, maybe you're built like Thor naturally and maybe you can do that <laughs> off, off the top, uh, you know, just swinging it or whatever. But, uh, normally you don't start there. You start with something small. You break in your muscles, you build new muscles, and then from there you increase the weight by five or ten 
pounds. And then you do that, you get used to that, and then you increase it by five or 10 pounds and you just, you build up and up and up and up. Um, and I think the same is true of a devotional life. You, if two hours is the 300 pound bench, you know, um, for us, we got to start with something a little bit more simple. I always told our college students, you're not really going to start with two hours. So let's start with 30, you know, as a college student, I used to begin to develop the habit of just praying from one class to another, because I noticed at least at St. Houston State University, you were able to walk maybe seven minutes from this class to the next, another seven minutes from this class to the next. And before you know it, with four classes a day, you're at about 30 minutes in prayer, you know. So you, you begin just to, a good starting place is to find times during the day to make sacred, sacred you know, uh, whether it's driving from your home to your work, whether it's walking from class to class, that's a good jump start for maybe 15 to 30 minutes of just praying to Jesus and also being silent before Jesus because it's not just a monologue, it's a dialogue. Uh, I'd say if you've never read the Bible before, a good place to start is a chapter a day and then go to two chapters a day and then go to three and so on and so forth. I would definitely recommend starting in the Gospels before you look at the old major or minor prophets. Um, the starting simple is always the best course of action. And as far as Christian books are concerned, I would find a trusted author and find his most thin, most concise book that you can and start there. You know, Francis Schaeffer has a lot of complex material, but he also has a very simple book called The Mark of a Christian, less than 100 pages or so which is wonderful for beginners, you know? Um, and, and that's, that's kind of what we, we need to look for. We need to find something that we can do, build some strength and then move up and then move up and then move up. Yeah. Alex, do you think that sometimes what keeps us, cause, cause like I remember Adam was just talking about this a little earlier, you know, we're at a conference and we see someone that clearly knows Jesus, you know, like they're just not able to speak this way, you know, unless they actually knew the King of the universe but do you think that sometimes we lack the follow through to like, cause we like, we say like, Oh man, we want to be like this person, but is it like maybe wrong motivation of like, instead of like, we want to be like this person because they know God. It's like, we want to, we want to know, or we want to be like this person because they look like they know God. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if there's like question or, um, advice that you can have to be sure that your motives of spending time with God are, are correct. Because even if you did spend two hours with God, but your motives aren't, and and you could even argue that you wouldn't spend two hours with God if your motives aren't pure. But, you know, let's just say for kicks and giggles for the sake of argument, um, how can you make sure that your motivation for reading the Bible, for reading Christian authors, listening to sermons, for praying are correct? That's a good question. Um, we, we always define motive this way. Why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? I suppose that's a great question to ask when you pick up your Bible, when you go to the prayer meeting, when you become a small group leader, when you become a resource group leader, when you go on a mission trip, when you consider a Chi Alpha internship or, or whatever it might be, why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? Uh, there's so many verses in the Sermon on the Mount that make it abundantly clear that there's Two of all kinds of things, uh, a broad road and a narrow road, a good tree and a bad tree, a house built on rock, a house built on sand, um, that kind of thing. So I, I think the temptation to have a false devotional life or false community or false responsibility, that's there with it, without a doubt. So asking the question, why do I do the things and who I do that for would be step one. Um, if if I find myself reading the Bible to sound smart as opposed to reading the Bible to discover God, I think the worst thing I could do is put the Bible down for seven days until I somehow discover the right spirit. That is where I think a lot of us go wrong. We tend to think that we have to get right before we go to God, but we forget that's not the gospel process. The gospel process is we are wrong people who go to God and he makes us right. Um, so that, I think that's the catch The the devil and all hell would love to convince us that if your motive is wrong for prayer, then you need to abstain from praying until you have the right motive. 
if your motive is wrong for reading, if you want to sound uh, like a scholar as opposed to become a saint, then you shouldn't read the Bible. That's false thinking. You you have to go to God to become godly. And the idea that we would have to abstain until our motives become right, it would, would just be absurd because we're neglecting the God who makes us right. Yeah, I agree. I think, and we talked about this on the podcast before of like you go to a conference and you hear the word of God, you get fired up. My youth pastor would always call it like the mountaintop experience, you know? Sure. And then, but he would always say the most important time is when you come home and everybody's still fired up, now what are you going to do? And for him, yes. it was like, it's super important that you gravitate to reconnecting with those students or people, whoever it is, because that mountaintop experience isn't what we experience every day. It kind of fades, but we need that community, that people that continue that devotional life and how we grow closer to God. Um, but how do you like, how do, what's an applicable way that people can like form that community to keep that devotion life healthy and the motives clear, like we were talking about in a realistic way? I think community is definitely the factor for keeping a devotional life healthy. I, I think um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer would say that the day alone and the day together are interdependent. Uh, if I'm having the day alone with Jesus, it's going to make the day together better. And if I'm having the day together with Christians, it's going to make the day alone significantly better as well. So it's not that we need real devotion or real community. They're definitely interdependent in my mind, uh, affecting each other, you know. Um, community is a huge aspect towards a healthy devotional life. Uh, my old small group leader, whenever we had one-on-one, he would always ask me how I'm doing. He would always check in with my week, you know, so I knew that there was a personal connection. But he was always asked this question, and it was always bothersome for my own spirituality. Just say, so what's the Lord been speaking to you about? Simple as that, you know, what's the Lord been speaking to you about? You can't make that answer up, you know, <laughs> like you, you've either been spending time with Jesus or you haven't. Uh, and, and it was that question was usually uh Second, the first question was he would tell me what his devotional life would look like. Uh, and he wouldn't do it like checking something off the list. He was just genuinely excited to share what God's been teaching to him. As if from the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. You know? um, so that was really, really fun uh, to see from him. But he would always ask me that question, what's Jesus been speaking to you about? Uh, and if I'm honest with you, when I when I had no answer, I, I would always like, okay, I, I've got to have an answer now. So. I'd go home and I'd read the Bible or I'd read a book so that I could have an answer, not that I could be with God. But what I noticed was in the process of going to the Bible to find an answer, you discover God and then you, <laughs> you grow this, your, this personal devotional life, you know? Um, it, it's uh, Sometimes you, you, what I'm saying is in these one-on-ones, I would try to find a way to fake it. And as a result, I would end up somehow making it, if that makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I, so I, I don't, discredit that I, I think if you go to the bible you can find jesus you really can uh, and that's awesome but that i think that's my answer for you is you got to have a community around you i think the day alone and the day together they're always supposed to be interdependent you need someone in your life that you can say from the overflow of my, the heart the mouth speak this is what the lord's been teaching me about but you also need to have someone in your life that you can ask the question uh, so tell me what's, what has Jesus been speaking? Someone has to ask that question to you as well. What has the Lord been speaking to you about? Um, it makes you answer. You can tell when devotional lives are lacking. I remember discipling one guy who always told me, Oh, the Lord's been speaking to me about first John. This was January. And I would say, well, what about first John? Uh, you know, God is love. Like, okay, I don't like the first John. And then I'd ask him in May. So what is the Lord speaking to you about? Oh, I'm in first John. Like, man, that's, <laughs> not a very long book you're either writing an expository <laughs> book on first john or you're, you're kind of lying to me. so what is it um and and he owned up and he was honest and i think that also jump-started his devotional life because it's just hard it's hard to i think it's hard to have the day together without the day alone if i don't have the day alone with jesus it's going to show up one way or another in my day together i'm either going to have no answer for what jesus is speaking to me about or I'm going to be very Christless in my interactions with you. Mm. Uh, less patience, less long-suffering, less joy, you, you name it. Um, so they're definitely interdependent, and we need community 
to help influence real devotion. Yeah, that's good. It reminds me of, I can't remember the psalm, like the actual reference off the top of my head. It's somewhere between 27 and 35. I know that. <laughs> but it where it talks about delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think what's yeah. ironic about that is sometimes you know, the immature Christian would read that, or maybe not even the immature Christian, maybe the selfish Christian would read that and say, well, I'm going to delight in God so I can get what I want. But I think what's ironic, and you were kind of hitting on this, is as you spend time with God, as you set your heart and you delight, He's the source of joy, the source of your delight. He actually becomes your desire. And so it's so it's almost like a it's like a God hack into humanity of like as we desire or set our hearts on delight in Him, our desires change from our external selfishness to we just want to have more of God. And I think that's what you're getting at too of like as you begin to spend time with God, it's almost it's almost like when you're lifting to go back to that lifting reference and you start, you just see that progress and you see the weight going up and up and up and you just, you don't want to stop. It's not even just a burden anymore. It's like, this is something I actually enjoy. Yeah, it hurts and yeah, it's hard, but I actually enjoy this now. And I know that's been true definitely for us in our devotion yeah. life. And I would imagine that would probably be true to you as well. Oh, sure. and it continues to be. But yes. um, what are some of the biggest, you know, and we'll kind of like this will kind of be our wrap up question for the topic. But what are some of the biggest obstacles that keep people from actually embracing a real devotion life and maybe some practical ways of just how to avoid those things? That's a great question. Uh I think the temptation is to say time. Mm-hmm. I'm too busy. I have work that clocks in at this time, work that clocks out at that time. But I don't think that answer is biblical, and I don't think it's true. Um, two verses that come to mind to answer this question. Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Second Chronicles seven fourteen. but if my people will humble themselves and pray. The humility, the, the preface to, to prayer, is a prayer life is a humility life, you know. Um, and the idea that Micah 6, 8 ends by saying we need to walk humbly with God, it implies that there's a way to walk pompously with Him, to walk pridefully with Him. And that's a, a scary thing, but I, I think one thing that we do see within Christianity is a, a Christian form of narcissism. A lot of us tend to think that we can do much for God without God. And when you say it out loud, it sounds crazy. But I think we do this on a daily basis. My education is good enough. My talent is great enough. Uh, my charisma is charismatic enough. Whatever it might be, we tend to trust more in our stature than in the Spirit of God. And I think that's why the, the number one obstacle for us not having a devotional life. I don't think it's time. I think it's humility. Uh, if, if we don't have much devotional time, I, I, I think it's because we don't have much humility in our life. We haven't seen that God is that big and we haven't seen that we are that small. We haven't seen that he's that holy and that our righteousness is but filthy rags. Uh, we haven't seen that God is all sufficient and we, even with our talent and skills, which biblically speaking were given to us from Jesus, are that insufficient without him, you know. Um, so that'd be my answer. And I, that might not be the answer that listeners want to hear. It's certainly not the answer that I like to share. Uh, but biblically speaking, I think that's the biggest obstacle for my devotional life or our devotional life. Not a lack of time, but a lack of humility is what prevents me from getting to Jesus. We need to see our littleness again. Um, and I think that's, that spurs on a devotional life for me more than anything. I, I think it's, absolutely crazy if i think i can do much for god without god um i it, it's just it's illogical it's, it's it's irrational uh philip brooks would explain it this way he says the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatest greatness is mm-hmm. um that's that's the quote that bothers me and haunts me, I think, more than anything else. If I just stand next to the bigness and the holiness and the awfulness of God, I will see just how unholy and how unworthy and how unskilled I really am, which will make me abide all the more. 
good. That is really good. Yeah. Well, Alex, thanks so much for spending this time with us tonight, just being able to unpack what devotion life looks like. And I know that, I mean, even just me as we're talking, I'm challenged in my own <laughs> devotion life. And I pray that'd be true of our listeners. We do have one more segment if you have a couple more minutes. Um, sure. So we end our, our podcast every every week with Muncie Minute. And so obviously you're not here in Muncie and I'm not sure that you've ever been in Muncie. So I'm not sure that you could give a very good, yeah, not yet. So I I don't think you could have a very good recommendation for us unless you just randomly, you know, put on like yelp.com or whatever it is and just picked up the biggest reviews. So we'll let you cheat a little bit and give a recommendation for Springfield. Like a place to go in Springfield? Yeah, it could be it could be a restaurant, it could be a location, it could be an activity place, but um, any anything that you say, like if you're in Springfield, th- you definitely have to go here. I'd say if, if you're in Springfield, I mean, I, I live very close to that big Bass Pro Shop, which has a uh, an amazing aquarium, absolutely we, amazing aquarium. Uh, we should we should say this is Springfield, Missouri. Oh, oh gosh, you gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many Springfields. Uh, there's my Springfield, Missouri, and then wherever the Simpsons live, which we're still not sure. Um, <laughs> but I, I like the, the Bass Pro Shop would be my answer. It's a very tranquil place. My wife and I frequent it uh, quite often. It takes maybe 90 minutes to walk through. You see sharks, you see eels, you see octopus, you see everything. Uh, it's just a good place to process and just, just hang. Like, I don't know, just tranquil process i love it it's, it's an awesome place i've actually been there so it, I have it, it, it's really cool i have to it is really cool really cool i have to say for me um it's a new re- well it's not a new restaurant in muncie but it's a new place that i've eaten at um it's called max restaurant that's in muncie have you have you heard of it well, it's a we? chain restaurant yeah. is it a chain restaurant yeah. i didn't know it was a chain but um i had it a couple weeks ago but i guess their tenderloin sandwiches are really good and so I had one, and it was really good. And of course, that's pretty Midwest, so tenderloin sandwich. But yeah, yeah. But it, <laughs> but it was really good. So um, I do recommend recommend Max. It was good. Oh man, I could not disagree with you more. You don't like Max? No. Oh man, I thought it was all. pretty good. I mean, their <laughs> breakfast food is passable, but like anything not breakfast. Uh, oh really? Yeah. This is man. I've only had it once, but it was good. I liked it. I uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> So I realized my recommendation, we've never actually recommended, and it's not just a Muncie thing. It's kind of all over East Central Indiana, but Pizza King. Oh, yeah. So Pizza King is, in my opinion, the the best pizza that I've ever had. And I know if Josh Bowman is listening to this podcast, well, he's clearly not listening to it now, but when he does (laughs) listen to this podcast, he will disagree with me vehemently. But I, I just love it. Like, it's just, I don't know what it is about it, but I even know friends who live out of state whenever they come into state, they're like, we are getting pizza King, like no question. And so, um, if I, if I ever moved out of Indiana, they even have it where you can buy frozen pizzas and I think they ship it to you. And so, um, that's what I would be doing if I ever moved from Indiana because pizza King, they're half baked breadsticks. Are really good. Yes, after bread six. Oh, so good. Well, hey, Alex, thanks we'll again. Get some when I come up. That sounds good. Yes, yes. We'll, <laughs> I will take you out to Pizza King when you come here. Let's do it. Hey, well, Alex, thanks again so much for having us and uh, or having us ha- for coming on <laughs> to the podcast. We've it has been a joy to have you on with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure, pleasure and honor. Thank you guys for the invitation. Yeah, yeah of thanks. course. Well, hey guys, if you li- if you're listening here and you like what you hear. Um, Give a like, give a review, recommend it to some friends. But until next time, we'll see you later.